probably gonna be really cheesy, but um, we're here now. It's so difficult. Love is more than just love. Love is trust. Love is a want, not a need. Love is vulnerable. It's the joys. It's squeezing your hand through the hard times. It's the lows. And holding them up when you celebrate. Being able to communicate through any challenges that may come your way. Love is being a unit together, like a team, where you're able to be yourself and have your life but have that other person who joins it alongside. Because you're working with each other. It's not trying to change the puzzle, it's trying to make it bigger and better. That's what I think love is. What is love? Thank you, I needed one, I needed one. That was all I needed tonight, thank you. Uh, this is a really great question that I'm really excited to dive into tonight. If you don't know me, my name is Nick Fries. I'm an intern here with Unite, and I uh, am so blessed to be able to speak to all of you as we discuss this idea of love. But before we get into that, uh, I think it's very important that we pray and welcome God into this room. So would you pray with me real quick? Father, we just thank you so much for this time. God, we lift up your name tonight above everything else, above every distraction, school, work, jobs, whatever it might be. God, we just pray that you would be in this room. God, I pray that you would work through me, speak through me. God, I pray that everything that is not of you leaves and um, we can just solely focus on you and your incredible love tonight. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, whew, how are we all doing? All right, thanks, Colin. All right. So, uh, I'm really excited to talk to you guys uh, about this tonight, and as I start to begin this message, I want to start from a place of vulnerability, which, for those of you who know me well, um, this, is, this is not something I normally do. I don't open up about myself very much. I tend to be a pretty guarded person. So I'm, I'm really going to share with you tonight one of my closest, guardest secrets. I really don't tell people this very often, so do me a favor, and let's just keep this between with us, okay? I'm not going to leave this room. Okay, thank you. Dude, we're going to ignore the fact that there's a camera right there and people can watch this back like years after this. We're just going to keep this between us, all right? So, my, my secret is this. I am a big romantic. Like, in general, I tend to romanticize so many things in my life. And if you know me, you might, like, think that's weird. But trust me, it's true. My my roommates, my friend Isaac over here will corroborate the story. It's, it's, very, um, it's very true. I tend to romanticize. Just a quick story to prove it and my, what I mean when I say I'm a romantic here. About a year ago, give or take a month, my friend Isaac called me into his room because he said he needed my romantic help. I know, please don't laugh. Um, this is all true. He called me in because he was planning on proposing to his girlfriend. He said, I have some ideas for how I'm going to go about this proposal and I need your input. So he told me his plan and I'm telling you it was adorable, it was heartwarming, it was personal, it was cute. I then looked at Isaac and said something to the effect of, Isaac, this proposal is like a solid seven. Let's make it a 10. And I kid you not, Isaac and I spent the next four to five hours sitting in his room coming up with the most elaborate, tear-jerking, personal, guaranteed-to-make-her-cry proposal that we could come up with. Like, it had all the bells and whistles, every earmark of a classic romance. Like, we had this this uh, scheme, this plan to get all of her best friends and her family there without her realizing what was going on. We were going to make her go through this like elaborate love scavenger hunt that had all these memories based on their past. And she was going to get like a bouquet of roses and then she was going to come to the place where the two of them met and she was going to have 
her, she was going to be serenaded by Isaac playing this song that he had written for her. It was beautiful. It was freaking adorable. I'm going to tell you, we spent like four to five hours of solid work on this thing. And when we were done, the only part of the proposal that Isaac had come up with was the song. Every other detail of that elaborate plan came straight out of my head, <laughs> just spitting ideas off <laughs> at him. I let my secret romantic sneak out for about five hours and came up with this beautiful scene straight out of a Hallmark movie. Isaac even looked at me and said something like, Nick, this is so perfect. You did this for me, I might marry you at this point. Like, <laughs> he's sitting right here to tell you it's true. <laughs> and now, that elaborate plan didn't end up happening exactly as we had planned it due to some restrictions, both with COVID and honestly, financially, there was fireworks involved. But <laughs> needless to say, she said yes, and I can't wait to celebrate their wedding and their marriage with them later this year. But to cap all that off, what I'm saying is I'm a bit of a romantic person. <laughs> so it's scenes like this and scenes in like movies and TV shows that make me think of love. You know, when I first was answering this question, you know, what is love? The first thing that came to mind was a scene like this. It, it looks like searching for that one perfect person who's going to make everything right. It's my future children asking, how did you meet mom? And me forcing them to sit through nine seasons of explanation with way too much detail. Any How I Met Your Mother fans are the ones laughing there. It's How I Met Your Mother. Great show. It's a good show. But in all honesty, it paints a terrible picture of what true love looks like. It's, it's shows like this, other TV shows, other movies that we see that paint a picture of what we're going to call worldly love, a love of this world. Now, I want to make something very clear right off the bat, okay? Worldly love is not inherently bad. It's just not true. Let me clarify. This, this Hallmark movie puppy dog love that we think about isn't necessarily bad, but what it does is it creates unrealistic expectations for your relationships. And while so far I've only mentioned dating relationships, this is true for any type of relationship you enter into, whether it be a friendship, a familial relationship, or even your relationship with yourself. No matter who it is that you're building this relationship with, this picture of worldly love creates a standard that we might not even realize that we're setting for ourselves. We look for the absolute perfect boyfriend or girlfriend. That once-in-a-lifetime friend that never messes up. Or whoever, whatever it is we're searching for, we're looking for perfection. Because that's what the world tells us we deserve. Everybody ends up with the perfect person in the movie. Sayings like, oh, they're perfect for you. Or you two would make a perfect couple. While for the most part are perfectly harmless create the expectation that any relationship with that person is going to be perfect. And I think we all can realize that this is not the case. It's not what happens in the real world. The love of the world sets up these unrealistic expectations. There's so many of them, just a couple, just to name a couple of them. One of these expectations is the idea that people who love each other never argue. That's not true. <laughs> In reality, I think we can all realize it's pretty unrealistic, but it's an expectation that I held for a long time because the world told me that's how it was. You aren't supposed to fight with the people that you love. I had a buddy of mine, one of my coworkers, that 
you know, not romantically, but I love, I would say I love the guy with a godly love. When I first met him, he was a chill guy. But over the years, our relationship has changed so much. Our lifestyles are so different that we've gotten in onto each other's nerves so much and so bad that it's to the point where we can't even stand to be in the same room as each other. And we've spent so long bickering and pointing fingers that we haven't even thought that maybe we might be in the wrong. Another unrealistic expectation that this worldly love might create for us is that you have to make your partner your sole focus in life. This was the reality of my first relationship in the dating realm. I had, you know, the on paper perfect relationship. I perfect, but it was, you know, the the funny story of how you meet, the meet cute, the cute story of how you get together, all that. Like you think it right. If I'm gonna tell you, it felt like a scene out of a Hallmark movie. It really did. But ultimately, I, I put so much focus on her and on that relationship that I never saved any time for friends or really anything else. I lost focus of what was important, and the relationship fell apart. One of the strongest examples of unrealistic expectations for me was the idea that in order for me to have value in my relationships, I needed to be perfect. This was the reality of my relationship that I had with myself for the longest time. I expected myself to be absolutely perfect in every way, shape, and form, but I wasn't, still not. I also wasn't very disciplined. Shout out to Mark's message last week on discipline if you were here, but I didn't make any strides to be better. Specifically, I, I always struggled with my physical self-image. For the longest time, I wanted that perfect athletic body, but I didn't have it and I didn't work for it. And because I had this expectation in my mind and I wasn't meeting that expectation, the person I hated the most in the world was myself because I set my expectations too high. I couldn't meet the unrealistic standards that the world set in my mind. My love of self was practically non-existent until I truly started looking at what God says that love is. Now, this might be a hard pill to swallow for us, but the truth is that if you spend your life searching for perfection, you're only setting yourself up for failure and disappointment. This is, of course, because the only perfect person that ever lived was Jesus Christ. Save yourself some time, and stop searching for perfection in people, and instead, let's start searching for Christ in people. This idea of worldly love can seem like you're searching for perfection within imperfection, and it simply isn't true love. True biblical love looks very different than this. But before we can answer, you know, what true love is, why should we care? What is the significance of true biblical love versus a love of the world? Why is this important? To answer the question, I'm going to turn to my main man, Paul. Paul's written a lot of stuff in the Bible, and tonight I want to turn to his first letter to the Corinth church. Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians to address a lot of different issues that he saw in the early church, but one of those issues was the fact that the people in Corinth were not loving each other the way that Jesus had told us we should. Remembering that when Jesus was on the earth, the disciples asked Jesus, hey God, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love God and love other people as yourself. So when Paul saw that people in the early church were struggling with the act of loving people in this way, he saw it necessary to address the importance of love and to provide a description of what love is. So let's just jump in right here at the top of chapter 13. 
If I could speak all the languages of, of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Without love, we have absolutely nothing. Incredible gifts and extreme sacrifice mean absolutely nothing without the love of Christ. If we look at the church, if we look at the body of Christ today, and we see the absolute best speakers and musicians and just simply put leaders in the church, if we look at these people and see that their service isn't from a place of love, then that service is ultimately meaningless. This is why it's so important that we ask ourselves what God says love is so that we can know how to serve him best. So in trying to understand God's true biblical love better, the best place to start looking is in the greatest love story ever told. As you can probably guess, this love story isn't maybe what the world might tell us the greatest love story ever told is supposed to look like. And some of you probably know where I'm going with this, but here it is, story time. The greatest love story ever told. The God of all creation looked at the world he had made and the people that he had crafted in his own image and saw that this world was broken. His chosen people had in many respects lost their ways and were not living according to his will. So the Lord of the universe sent himself in the form of his son to the earth to save his creation that had rejected him. The son was born under what can only be described as the least optimal of circumstances into a world that didn't know they were in need of saving. The son then spent his life persecuted by the very people who claimed to have the strongest connection to his father. He sought to spend his life with the people that society said that he should avoid. He spent his life knowing that he would one day perform the greatest act of love the world would ever see. He was ultimately betrayed by one of the people that he called brother and arrested for crimes that he didn't commit. He was beaten, whipped, spit on, belittled, verbally abused, and outright tortured before he ultimately was forced to carry the tool of his own demise up a hill to the place of his death. He was exhausted and his body was practically destroyed when he was nailed to a cross to die one of the most painful deaths that this world has ever seen. He died a criminal's death, and because he sacrificed himself for the world he loved, he bore the weight of each and every sin that had been and ever will be committed for every person on the planet. And after spending hours in agonizing pain, he died a death he didn't deserve. Simply put, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It doesn't sound like a love story you would expect. It's definitely not the picture of worldly love that we talked about before. But the Bible tells us that the life of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is in fact the greatest love of all time. So when we ask the question, what is love, we can look at the cross of Christ to see what love looks like for us today. We're called to love like Christ loved us. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to get up on a cross and die for other people. No, Christ already paid that debt so that you don't have to. 
But we can look at the cross and we can find what true biblical love should look like in our lives. So let's get into it. Let's answer. What is love? Number one, love is enduring. It pushes through. It perseveres. In Matthew chapter 27, before Jesus is um, officially sentenced, he's uh, in trial, Matthew 27, it says this, But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you, Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. When he was on trial for crimes that he didn't commit, Christ simply endured the pain. And we can see throughout the rest of Jesus' story that he has an endurance unlike anybody else. He takes all the beating, all the whipping, all the persecution, all the sins of the world, all the way to the end. He never quits. He never gives up. His love endures forever. There's some examples that I'm going to be sharing of times that I've seen this type of love in my life. And when it comes to enduring love, the person that comes to my mind is my friend Jay. He couldn't be here tonight because he sadly tested positive for COVID, but... My buddy Jay and I met a few years ago. We were co-workers, and then ultimately he graduated and left. I didn't see him for like six or seven months. And then he just texted me. He's like, hey, you want to go hang out? So we just hung out at his place to play video games, and it was like nothing had ever changed. It's a love for each other, a friendship that just endures the times, even when we're not together. It has continued to build time and time again. I don't say it enough. But Jay, if you're watching this, I love you. Number two, what is love? It's forgiving. In Luke 23, when Christ is hanging on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And then the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The people who were persecuting him the most, the people who had hung him on the cross, he said, Father, forgive that person. Christ's forgiveness is unlike anything we've ever seen. He will forgive time and time again because he loves you so much. His love is ultimately forgiving over anything. I've seen forgiveness in my life in different ways. But one interesting way of looking at forgiveness is actually um, the relationship that I have with my roommate, Colin. Hey, buddy. We have, you know, bickered and we've gone at it sometimes, but we ultimately still love each other in the end. But this example of forgiveness is actually in the way that we handle our fast food orders, which sounds funny, but we get food a lot. And every time we go, we just rotate who pays. Doesn't, doesn't matter what we get. Doesn't matter how much it is. We just forgive that debt. We say it doesn't really matter. It's like three bucks. It's a small forgiveness, but it's a simple act of forgiveness. It's a simple act of love. Colin, I love you. The third description of what love is, is love is sacrificial. In John chapter 19, we see Jesus knew that his mission was now fulfilled. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. So a jar of sour wine was sitting there. They soaked up a sponge. 
put it in a branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Ultimately, Christ paid that sacrifice for all of us. He died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. His love is sacrificing time and time again. And we can also make sacrifices in our love for one another. We can give up a little bit. One of the best examples of sacrificial love in my life is the love of my father. My dad was actually in college to become a teacher, like I'm currently studying to be, and ultimately he got married and had a kid and decided he needed to do something that was going to provide for the family a little more. Switched his major to accounting, became a CPA, and then worked his butt off his entire life. He would go to work in the wee hours of the morning before I had even woken up for school. He would sit at work for hours. He would come home after dinner had already been eaten. My mom often left dinner on the stove so he could grab leftovers before he went down to the basement and continued working all through the night. During tax season, I think he averaged maybe three hours of sleep. And he chose to do this. He chose to sacrifice that time with his family, that time that he could be relaxing because he loved me and he loved my mom and he loved my sister. You maybe don't have to go to the extreme of sacrifice for the people you love, but you can give up things too, just like my dad did. Dad, if you're watching this back, I love you. So when we look at the cross, we see that his love is enduring, forgiving, and sacrificial. There are many other aspects of what God's love looks like, but some of you might be sitting here tonight thinking that this list could almost look like worldly love. You know, if I were to show these three descriptors to any relationship coach or any therapist out there, or really whoever, and tell them that love is enduring and forgiving and sacrificial, they'd probably be like, yeah, that makes sense. Even if they weren't followers of Christ. So the question becomes, what sets biblical love apart from worldly love? If they can look so similar, how do we know if we're loving people with the love of God or with the love of the world? The answer to this question is found in our intention and our focus. Again, in the spirit of vulnerability, I want to tell you a quick story of true biblical love from my life. I was sitting at home with my roommate, Joe. I was curled up in a blanket on the couch, and he was playing video games. He was playing Fortnite. We were talking, and for whatever reason, we decided to get, like, really deep into our feels at, like, 12, 15 in the afternoon, like, middle of the day. I don't know. He started it. We were talking about some really deep stuff, and then Joe suddenly goes, Hey, Nick, you want to hear this really sad song I found? And for whatever reason, I was like, sure, put it on. I kid you not, this was the saddest song I think I've ever heard. The lyrics of the song combined with the conversation that we had just had really got me deep into my feelings. And honestly, like, I kind of just broke down. It's the last time I remember crying. All of a sudden, two of my roommates, Kenny and Brian, walked into the house they're coming home from class or work or whatever they were doing, and you could tell they were busy because they were talking about how much they had to do. They had a ton of stuff they had to get done. They had to go to class in the afternoon. They had work. They had a bunch of stuff going on. As Kenny walks by the couch, he says something to the effect of, oh, Nick, I didn't even see you there, man. Hey, are you okay? 
Mind you, I'm curled up in the fetal position, holding back tears, because I was just crying my eyes out for whatever reason. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm fine. Don't don't worry about me. I I, I know you're really busy. You got a lot to put on your um, shoulders right now. You, you're good. At that moment, Kenny set his backpack down. He said, Brian, come here real quick. Joe, pause the game. We got to pray for Nick. Then the three of them, Kenny, Brian, and Joe, put their stuff aside, put their hands on my shoulders and prayed for me. They didn't even know why I was sad or what I was thinking about, but they stopped everything they were doing, put everything aside, and put Jesus back in the focus. And in that moment, I knew that I was truly loved. It's something that maybe you can't always know if it's going to happen, but God works in love in mysterious ways. A worldly love is focused completely on the self. What can I get from being in this relationship? Whether you realize it or not, the question that we ask ourselves when we're attempting to love people with the love of the world is, what's in it for me? We're only concerned with ourselves. A love that comes from God instead asks the question, what does God get from this relationship? How can God be glorified from this? When our focus is on Jesus Christ and the love that he displayed on the cross, we know that it is true. This makes complete sense when we look at the next part from 1 Corinthians that we looked at earlier. Remember when we talked about Paul said that he wanted, um, he said that we're useless without love, right? He said that love is the key to everything. He goes on to lay out a picture of what love is so that we could know exactly what he's talking about in the next verses, 4 through 7. Hopefully you recognize it. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Amen indeed. There's a reason that this passage is so popular. There's a reason that we see this in lots of weddings and other celebrations of love and things like that. It's because when Paul was writing to the church and he was trying to convey what love is, he looked at the cross of Christ. He looked at the life of Jesus Christ and he wrote what he saw. If we look again at our list, love is enduring and forgiving and sacrificial, right? This is what God portrayed on the cross. It's perfectly mirrored in that passage. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to leave this list here on the screen so you can see these words. But listen, for you hear enduring and forgiving and sacrifice, when we say that love is patient and kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep any records of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices with the truth. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. If you catch nothing else that I say tonight, I pray that you understand this. A love of the world is inward focused. True biblical love is focused on Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is enduring, forgiving, and sacrificial. And just as this life would be meaningless without love, this life would be nothing without Jesus Christ. And this is why the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. But this is real love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Point everything back to Jesus. That is how we know it is true love. We're going to sing one last song tonight. I'm going to invite the band back up here. This song is called Son of Suffering. I know it's an interesting song title for something about love, but we know that it's the suffering of Christ that was, is, and will always be the greatest act of love that will ever happen. So as we sing this song tonight, I want to invite you to practice true biblical love. I want you to focus everything you have, every part of yourself on Jesus Christ tonight. Whatever that looks like for you, leave everything at the feet of Jesus. If you need some help or direction, or if you just want to feel the love of God poured into you, we've got intergens, we've got interns, and we've got community group leaders who are here who would love to pray for you, who would love to just lay a hand on your shoulder, just like my friends did for me. They want to love on you. They want you to know your love. If you want to take a moment to yourself and just talk to God, you're more than welcome to do that. Don't feel like you need to stand and sing right away. Talk to Jesus. If you want to take a moment and pray with a friend, grab a friend, grab a loved one, pray with them. No matter what you do right now, point it in the direction of Jesus Christ and lay everything at his feet. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for what you have deemed true love. God, we know that your love can look like a love of the world. We know that it can be difficult to discern. So we pray that you move in our lives in a way that we don't expect. We pray that you can reveal yourself to us tonight, God. Reveal your true biblical love to each and every one of us. God, we pray that when it comes to our relationships with others, whether it's a dating relationship, a friendship, a family member, or even our relationship with ourselves, God, we pray that we can always endure, forgive, and sacrifice and point everything back to you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this night. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
true love looks like. We look at the cross of Christ and we see that the greatest love story ever told tells us that love is enduring, forgiving, and sacrificial. And now that we've made this image of love, the game has changed. When we live by worldly standards of love, there were expectations that were put on our relationships because the world told us that that's how it's supposed to be. Now the expectations for our relationships are coming from us. This can be daunting or scary because when we fall short, and let's just be honest with ourselves, we all fall short, it can hurt even more. But there's more to this story of love. Because in the greatest love story ever told, Jesus did not stay dead on the cross. Three days after being pronounced dead, Jesus rose out of the tomb, and we know that we have a living God who loves us more than we could ever understand. Now, when we fell short of our relational standards before, we fell into this, this feeling of despair or regret or maybe even self-hatred because we fell short. But this is no longer the case. For when we fall short of our expectations of love now, we fall into the loving arms of a living Father who loves you more than you could ever know. And if you don't know that love tonight, I want to tell you right now that God's love will never fall short. God's love will always endure. God's love will always forgive. And God's love will never run out for you. So when we mess up, when we fall short, or when we aren't perfect, that's okay. Because that means that God is still working on us. And we can turn to him and his amazing love for us and know that he's always going to be there. It is by the cross of Christ that we are set free. The stripes on God's body are our healing. Glory to God. His blood is still speaking to us, and his love is always reaching out to us. All praise King Jesus. Glory to God.
Thank you for being a part of our community opening the word today. We here at Unite challenge you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, and to go out and live a Christ-centered life. To learn more about Unite, follow our social media pages or go to our website at mpcc.org unite. God bless. Mm-hmm.